0: Colorado has a story to tell. From Glenn Miller to Diane Reeves, from the astronauts to the Lumineers, the Colorado Music Experience collects and preserves the legacy of Colorado's rich music history, serving as a resource for audio, visual, informational, and archival materials. Your host is G. Brown. Our guest is Harold Fielden a founding member of Flash Cadillac and the Continental Kids, America's best-loved 50s oldies band. Welcome, Harold. Hi, Wolfman Jack. It's really good to be
1: here with you. It's an honor.
0: In this instance, I'm compelled to start at the end, Harold. These days, you're a respected attorney who has helped many people over the years. You're a modest man of integrity, a loyal friend who doesn't drink, smoke, or eat meat. Back in the day, though, you were the ringleader of the rudest, lewdest events in Colorado music history, so... Congratulations and thanks for sharing.
1: Are you sure you have the right person? Well, I thought I was here to sell Amway (laughs) (laughs) products.
0: Ultimately, you're still a nice Jewish boy from Brooklyn. What led you to come west and attend the University of Colorado at Boulder?
1: To try and stay out of jail in New York. Senior year in high school, got a compass and drew it radius of 1,500 miles away from New York and applied to all those schools. What happened, not that I took drugs, but they had two drug busts at my high school, including my very good friend, Steve Tolerico, had to change his name to Steven Tyler and got thrown out of high school and decided it was good to get out of Dodge. By
0: 69, the counterculture in full bloom. Psychedelic music is the rage. You went counterintuitive putting on wraparound shades, slicking down your hair and playing 50s good time rock and roll. You tried to recruit a couple of future stars at that point.
1: I tried to recruit Elvis Presley (laughs) and Jerry Lee Lewis and Fats Domino, but they were in different places and they didn't know who I was. So I had to talk to Tommy Bolin. What happened was we wanted to start this band and everybody had shoulder length hair. So of course we had to have a thing where you had to grease your hair back and no bell bottoms and wear 50s clothes and do dance steps. So I talked to Tommy first and he had shoulder-length hair in his purple, green, and blue, and orange. And he not only didn't want to cut his hair, he didn't want to play the music or wear those clothes or do the dance steps. That was a pretty quick conversation. So <laughs> I talked to Jock Bartley, who I knew in the dorm, and he would have been up for playing the music. But, of course, he had shoulder-length hair. I don't think he wanted to cut his hair. And I'm not sure whether he wanted to wear the clothes or do dance steps. So that didn't work out either.
0: So they weren't a part of neo-greaser no, history. No, no, no. Right? They were not going to be that. Mick Manressa was Flash. Yeah, with Lynn Phillips or Spike on right. guitar, Chris Angelo Moe yeah. on the piano, and Warren Knight on bass, you behind the drum kit.
1: Warren was butch. We had names for everybody so that no one would know our real names on stage, which was important because we were all in school, and so it was safer that way. And everybody was really, really smart and good athletes
0: in between book assignments you guys just threw band rehearsals into your schedule of drinking beer and playing basketball and belching contests. pretty much that's the way it went yeah <laughs> i think you got it nailed that exactly how it was <laughs> good clean fun no one could say what your first gig was the first practice was a party every practice was a party the first gig was a party so how do you discern between a practice party and a job party
1: it was supposed to be a job isn't a friend's house had a two-bedroom house and they figured they could easily put five or six hundred people in a two-bedroom apartment and we played (laughs) and we were supposed to get a case of beer and people found the beer before we got to it so we played for nothing that night because we didn't get any of the beer and then the next thing was a fraternity party I guess that was official for the public or something
0: Flash Cadillac ended up taking over Talagi, the famed nightclub on University Hill, on Tuesday nights. Right. And this is where the legend begins. <laughs> um and it should be mentioned that beer was involved. Beer was involved with everything. Recreational drug use was just coming on the radar culturally. Boulder, a college town, fueled by three two beer. That's yeah. the low alcohol content. You could drink it if you were eighteen instead of having to be twenty one. And places like the Sink and Talagi were record holders for beer consumption, I believe. Weren't Supposedly. They About that time, Playboy magazine named all the best party schools in the country. CU got some special treatment.
1: This is alleged. I haven't seen it in maybe fifty years. They said CU is not listed because you don't want to list the amateurs with the professionals, <laughs> so <laughs> they were not listed as one of the top party schools. Yeah, that was pretty good. I, that was great. The administration now probably wouldn't like it, but at the time, I think it was good because it brings more people to the school.
0: That's right. You know? Chamber of Commerce jumped on that, oh, one, yeah. as I recall. So everybody in town decided to come and see Flash and Party, and you hatched some audience participation numbers that remain unmatched.
1: That's oh, very nice of you to say that. That's uh, because people would get arrested now for <laughs>
0: since- <laughs> you wanted to see as much lewdness as possible. Well, um- it was actually the
1: audience. We were ambivalent about it, of course, <laughs> and the fact that people saying that we were screaming "skin, skin, skin." That was really the audience. We just kind of went up there and played the songs. If the whole place wanted to get totally nude, we were not going to stop them. Challenge them. You know what it takes to win. Yeah.
0: You would hawk a loogie, so to speak, on the ceiling and take bets on when it would snap and fall to the floor?
1: Well, before the beers, you do chocolate milk and orange juice so you get really good loogies, and they would become stalactites. But the main thing is, guys playing drums, I don't want to spit over my head because then it would come down on my head or on the drums, and I don't want to spit on the other people. So you have to kind of get a happy medium in between the drums and the guitar players and the keyboards so that when it does drip, it wouldn't hit anybody. And we found out later that bands hated playing after us the next night or a few nights because they'd be playing and they're constantly looking at the ceiling to see if the loogies were going to come down at them <laughs> while they were playing. So there may have been some bad shows there based upon the loogies.
0: <laughs> you hatched the wild elephant where you would encourage the male <laughs> members of the audience to pull their pants pockets inside out. That yeah. was the elephant's ears. Yes. And I guess we don't need to detail the rest of the elephant's anatomy, Yeah, what do the
1: trunk was. Yeah, I think it's... <laughs> <laughs> you could probably figure that out. The, <laughs> if the pockets were the ears... <laughs> (laughs) (laughs)
0: and finally you allude to the skin to win twist contest the winner would receive a prize i remember valuable prize a back seat from a 57 chevy how about the tuna a real smelly
1: well not necessarily smelly we kind of kept it on ice beforehand but that (laughs) was but yeah one time thing and everybody had a cold and they had a jar of when you hock up stuff when you're cold they gave that away for the twist contest and then there was a jar of the male hairs between your knees and your chest and somebody put together a jar of that and that was given away for the first prize and we just figured look if somebody goes to the trouble of putting a jar of those things together we're going to give it away and if people want it great if they don't want it god bless them
0: well i remember a couple clutching it like they just won the oscar oh,
1: well i mean there's nothing like a couple completely nude hugging a tuna there are things like that but, but at well, the time there's nothing like it we hope we have a good twist contest here we got some good prizes to give away Actually, it started in the Buff Room, which was a place down the base when we had played there first, but the Tulagi's was so much bigger, we just couldn't put enough people in the Buff Room. Somebody took a shirt off because it was hot down there, and then people took off more and more articles of clothing, and then what you would see was for the semifinals, somebody would take off clothes, and then for the finals, and it got to the point when the Twist Contest started, You had 30 or 40 naked couples on the dance floor. They didn't want to wait for the semifinals because they weren't going to get in the semifinals if they had clothes on. So they're completely nude. And then if there's 30 or 40 couples that are nude, how do you win? Well, you win by doing things with each other while you're nude. So So that's how you would win, because if you start with everyone nude, then, you know, you have to make a decision. I'm not making this up, I don't think. (laughs) But there were witnesses.
0: Uh, Was the judging done by committee? Yeah, I can't
1: remember, because by then it was the last song of the night and the beers had kicked in. Sometimes we would bring up guest stars to judge, but it was audience applause, and it was always fairly obvious who would win. <laughs> like if two people are stuck together, they're going to win. <laughs> you know, that kind of thing. <laughs> at first, they had our name up Tuesday night, and the people would start lining up at noon along the street on 13th Street. And then instead of putting the name of the band, they just decided because Flash Cadillac and the Continental Kids, so many words, they just put up Gross Night. So when the <laughs> band Monday night finished, they would just put Gross Night on the marquee, and everybody knew what that was.
0: <laughs> you won a Truth in Advertising yeah, Award, I yeah, believe. I, a lot of people wanted to have a cha-cha song, especially those who are doing push-ups in their date lap over there on that side. Ah, right there, yeah. Also, uh, <laughs> that guy wants to be in the pocket pool tournament, which is coming up later tonight. His, his favorite shot is left ball in the side pocket.
1: And then there was another night. It wasn't gross night, but we don't want to talk about farm animals. You know what you oh, get sure, when you yeah. cross <laughs> an elephant <laughs> with a <laughs> whore?
0: <laughs> well, we, we, a we two-ton first swinger first who does it Mexico for peanuts that had and had never forgets your name. Hypothetically,
1: <laughs> donkeys are going to we're going to do one of those things. And so we told Tulagi's, it's not going to be gross night. It's going to be called Donkey Show. And so they put up Donkey Show on the thing. We called a ranch nearby. And it was funny because... I think I was the one who called, I can't remember, because I don't know if we even had phones, but called and said, hi, do you guys rent donkeys? And they go, is this Harold? <laughs> <laughs> I said, and I explained what's going on. They said, we'll make you a deal. We'll bring the donkey, but we're not bringing it inside because it would hurt its ears. We'll tie it to the front, but you let us all in. We said, well, that's a fair deal. You know, we don't have to pay for the donkey. So they're going to tie the donkey to the outside door. It's going to say donkey show. now is that we do the regular show. And apparently the donkey injured itself getting into the van. It probably knew where it was going. So it never made it. But it said donkey show that night anyway, and I suspect the crowd was disappointed. But.
0: Now we're, we're going to do one that was one of our million sellers over in Longmont. I hope there's some people from Longmont here tonight. Th- thanks to all those good people, it sold 53 copies over there back in 1950. <laughs> <laughs> so this obviously was not allowed to continue long term.
1: Well, we were moving to L.A., and I think the seating capacity was about 3, four hundred, and. We had a 1,000 people in there. You couldn't move. You couldn't get in. If the fire marshals could have gotten in the door, they would have arrested everyone. So Mick, who's Flash, decided to make a grand entrance on a motorcycle. But, of course, the motorcycle could hardly get in the door, but he decided he's coming in anyway, so he's trying to get up there. It took him about a half hour to get to the stage, and on the way up, maybe 100 people got their legs burned by the tailpipe.
0: (laughs) The last night chicken egg were you banned for 25 years from playing in boulder and you decided to go to la or was that move already in place and you pulled out all the stops
1: we were doing really well in Colorado, and we thought it would be nice to do something in la and see what happens So we'd heard that there's this big thing at the Troubadour called the Hoot Night, Monday night, where all these bands would come play, and all the rock stars would be out in the bar, and if something was interesting, they would come in, and it was just jam, jam, jammed, and everybody wanted to play there, and they wouldn't let you, so I called... And I said, hi, we're in a band from Colorado, and we play 50s music, and if we'd like to come on Monday night, and whoever I spoke to, when he stopped laughing, he said, that's out of the question. Send us an album or your record, and we'll we'll think about it. I said, we don't have a record. When are you going to have one? We don't know. We haven't even thought about a record. And finally, I talked the guy into it. I said, look, if we drive out from Boulder, and we have our stuff, will you let us on? And the guy figured this was such a joke. He said, yes, you can play, which was a mistake. After class, we... Maybe it was on a Sunday, and we drove out. So we are there Monday. We didn't know where to go, so we stayed outside the troop door. We were going to play and then drive back to Boulder because people had class the next day. So we're sitting there, and the doors opened. I came and said, hi, we're the band from Boulder. When do we play? And he goes, what are you talking about? And I said, that's our van. That's our equipment. We drove out from Colorado. You said we can play. The guy kept putting us off. Finally, we were persistent enough. He said, OK, you can go on. This is around midnight. It's still a decent crowd, but everybody's in the bar. Nobody would seen anything like this before we walk out completely greased up and hit the first notes of rock around the clock, and the place went crazy. They were dancing on the tables, and Doug Weston, who's the owner of the Troubadour, came and he's grabbing people. We don't have a dance license. Get off the tables. And then we heard all the rock stars who were in the bar. The entire place emptied out and came in there, and we finished and went up to the dressing room. We're getting ready, and agents are handing us cards and they said where are you playing next we go well we got class tomorrow we got to go back to boulder <laughs> all these famous rock stars are there whose albums we had been listening to so where are you playing can we sit and can we just go well no no we got class and then they called us and said you guys want to come out and we'll actually do it right so we went out for another monday and and it was insane and we decided all right we'll move there <laughs> So. And that's when we got banned from Boulder anyway, so it didn't really matter. <laughs> <laughs> I guess that was the ultimate point <laughs> yeah. to be made. Yeah. Yeah. Cool. Everybody stayed in school, they thought that they could live in L.A. and we could play and then go back for midterms and finals, which was not a good idea.
0: <laughs> good thought. <laughs> but that was our intention. You famously ended your shows with the theme from the Mickey Mouse Club, one of the first kid shows on television. You appropriated it for your own needs.
1: In the middle of town, if you could, we would stop and start the drum part. That's what everybody can say. M I C, see you real soon. K E Y. And of course, everybody's singing along with that. And we go, why? And we said, because we like you, we flip everybody the bird and then go M O U S C and finish Johnny Be Good. And actually, we had Annette Funicello come to one of the shows and they told us, you cannot do Mickey Mouse, you cannot flip the bird because her husband's a very, very important person. I wanted her autograph, and they said, you can't talk to her, you can't look at her. She was with all these really important record people, which we didn't know about or care about. I didn't have anything to write on, so I have a stick of gum. So I have Annette Funicello's autograph on a stick of gum. And after Mick saw me talk to her, he said, well, the hell with this if we're allowed to talk to her. So Mick walks up to the table, he has a Flash Cadillac shirt, he takes his shirt off and has Annette Funicello sign his shirt. But apparently she liked us well enough, so she wrote a little blurb on the back of the first album. She said, "I like these guys, but I don't want them in my neighborhood," or something like that.
0: <laughs> <laughs> I mean, that's true. Disney, a notoriously litigious company, Harold. <laughs> yeah. Was there ever any brushback from them? From doing the Mickey Mouse Club yeah. thing, I don't think the Disney people came to see us. So.
1: <laughs> <laughs> and plus, at that time, at Disneyland I was like really straight, so they wouldn't even let people with long hair into Disneyland. Not that we had long hair, but I don't think we would have been appropriate. Later, the band started playing at Disney and Knott's Berry Farm and things like that, but it would not have been an appropriate show
0: there anyway. <laughs> <laughs> that was the brush of making it as a real working band. Yeah,
1: we played the Whiskey, and we're doing the Santa Monica Civic with the Beach Boys and stadiums and all kinds of stuff. Our first night at the Whiskey, we are playing with Billy Preston. He had been with the Beatles, obviously, and they did Get Back, and he had his new album out, Whoever ran the whiskey came and said, now, look, your dress room is going to be filled with groupies. And if the groupies like you, you guys have it made in L.A. And, of course, we were all raging heterosexuals. And so (laughs) it was like, oh, my God, a room full of groupies? I mean, that's better than beer, maybe. His band, though, was seriously urban L.A. guys, and Billy had his own room. And so his band came in with us. So we walk in there, and his band's in there drinking couvoisier and just having the best time, wall-to-wall women. And then this other band came in who are friends of theirs from the Olympics, if you remember them. They did "Holly Gully, Big Boy Pete, Western Movies, huge group.
0: Mm-hmm. The movie.
1: yeah. So we're sitting there singing songs with those guys, and God, Caucasians here singing this stuff, they know it. So we're good friends with them, and we ignored the groupies. And the next night we showed up, and there's no groupies in the dress room. And the guy came and said, oh, I don't know what you guys did to chase them away. I mean, <laughs> nobody's going to like you, and you have no groupies, you have no anything. I'm like, "Man, we met the Olympics. You, know? <laughs> <I don't care." laughs>
0: so. you headed out with the Grassroots?
1: Yeah, we actually had a tour set with the Brooklyn Bridge, and the lead singer of the Brooklyn Bridge was Johnny Maestro. They had a giant hit, their number one hit, The Worst That Could Happen. But he was also the singer for The Crests, who had done Sixteen Candles.
0: Sixteen Candles
1: were on this massive midwestern tour with them and johnny came to look at our set list and of course we did not do 16 candles that night which we had normally done out of deference to him he looked at the set list and said you can't do the last song and then it was johnny be good and we said well that's our big closer and he said that's our big closer i'm the headliner and we can't do it. Now, if we're nice people and normal, we go, well, of course, we're going to defer to him because we have this massive tour, and God knows where we were in Ohio. And, of course, we all get in the dressing room, and it was a unanimous decision. We're ending with Johnny B. Good. <laughs> so the last note is still in the air, and we're fired from the entire tour. Like, and By this time, we had giant management and agents and lawyers and proctologists and every other thing <laughs> in California, and they're going... You got fired the first night of the tour. I'm <laughs> going, yeah, now what do we do? They go, well, we can't bring you back. So they were trying to figure out who else was on tour. And Mac Davis was on tour. And he'd just done In the Ghetto. And he knew about us. He said, these guys are not opening for me. I and mean, that's out of the question. Because Mickey Mouse and the finger and everything. And he comes out and does In the Ghetto. That's not going to work. So the grassroots were on tour. And those guys were great. They had done million seller after million seller. And they played Wednesday through Saturday. They didn't bring in their own equipment. They didn't care. And they were great. So we went on the tour with them. It was completely fun, other than being thrown out of South Dakota forever. We're playing in Sioux Falls, and every time we play with the grassroots, they would get the keys to the city, and it was the big story. So we were playing, and the average age was, I don't know, three, and they just had no idea what the hell we were doing. Angelo used to put his keyboard on a 50-gallon drum of garbage. Well, the last song, we realized they didn't like us at all, and we decided we would do something that we had never done. So takes the piano, puts on ground, dumped the entire 50 gallon thing of garbage, and during the last song kept all the instruments on and put all the instruments and his keyboard in a garbage can. (laughs) You can imagine what the sound was like. This was like the worst feedback in the history of the world. And we walked off the stage. So now you got garbage on the stage. You got the worst horrible noise in the world. The grassroots now come on. They think this is the funniest thing in the world. We decide we don't care anymore. Whenever the bands that we opened for went out on the stage, we'd go in their dressing room and take their beer. So now we have a beer can pyramid on the side of the stage. And they used to sing this song, where, give us your shirts, give us this. So we start taking off our clothes and throwing them at them while they were playing. And then I decided the drummer really needed a beer. So I walked out there and handed him a beer. And this is like in this auditorium. The mayor was there. So we did all this crap. And so we get back to the dressing room and the chief of police comes and says, uh, you guys have to leave town. We said, well, we're leaving tomorrow morning. He goes, no, no, you have to leave tonight. <laughs> <laughs> this was our biggest concert of the year. And the grassroots, they were laughing. So they couldn't even play the last song. They, they, it was so funny. He goes, you have to leave now. We said, we can't. What are we going to do? Stand on the street and hitchhike? He goes, "Right." We're going to have some of our people go back to the hotel with you. You can't leave the hotel. And in the morning, we're going to make sure you're on the bus. And of course, we go back to the bar with the grassroots, and they think this is the best thing. We figured they'll forget about it. Well, next morning, they're waiting there to make sure we left town so that we never played again in Sioux Falls.
0: <laughs> <laughs> as a fan, I always was a little miffed that Flash didn't get the deserved notoriety as the oldies band of the time. Sha came up about the same time on the East Coast. They played Woodstock and got to make a career out of that one gig. Right. You were better players and oh, way nice more entertaining. We were before
1: them, but we were in Boulder, and they started in New York City, and then their first real big thing was Woodstock. People who didn't know us thought it was like Sean and I. So we're nothing like Sean and I. They got three guys with gold lame stuff, and everything's played three times as much. And what we were doing was like when I was growing up, is greasy stuff. And so it was totally different. And finally, we decided enough of this comparison stuff. So we were headlining hotels in Vegas and we challenged them to a battle of bands, and uh, we never heard from them. <laughs> playing in Houston with these guys and it was a three piece band and we played late night thing we did pop festivals with the best guys in the world and we said god where are you guys playing or are you coming to Colorado I said we've never played outside Texas I said you got to play in Colorado We said there's a place in Boulder called Talagi. It's the best place in the world. I think we called up and said these guys are great, the best guys in the world. They play blues, but it's three guys and they kill and blah blah blah. Years later I heard that this was their first job outside Texas was at Talagi. It was CC Top.
0: Chris wrote the few originals Correct. for the band. Some great 50s-style pop songs. Yeah, we Good didn't covers. know that.
1: We were in L.A., and we we're at our house. We all lived together the whole time. And starting practice, we were going uh, into Wolfman Jack's studio to record some stuff because he really liked the band. And Gary Puckett, who was also managed by our people, was going to produce it. So I heard Chris playing this thing, and I thought it was a Beach Boys song. Had the words, and he had this, and we worked it up and actually recorded it and then she's so fine which is the only original on the American Graffiti album. And... I've
0: been
1: Chris wrote that, whoa, it was really good.
0: All of a sudden, Chris was a
1: really good writer.
0: What happened at that point where you returned to Boulder?
1: I talked everybody into moving to L.A., and I thought we have the agents, we have the managers, we have everything, now we can move back to Boulder, because L.A. was, you know L.A. is, it's just they have to get an L.A. haircut and talk the talk, and then the management was saying, you know, in between songs sounds like you're trying to think of something filthy to say and then you do the song so maybe you should and I said yeah that's basically what we're trying to do and he said no no you have to say the same thing after you have the song and everything and I tried to talk everybody into moving back to Boulder I said we can do everything from Boulder which you didn't do at the time because you had to be in LA you had to be in New York and to their credit they stayed which was a great idea. A couple of months before that, we did the last regular show at the Fillmore before it closed. So we were doing really well. I thought, hey, we got everything. And they said, no, we want to stay here and do this, which made total sense.
0: You and Mick returned to Boulder. You went to law school. Mick became an aerospace engineer. Yeah. The band continued where they found a new Flash, Sam McFadden, who was a fan. Did you know
1: Sam? Oh, yeah. And the way they got him to play was they asked him, are you married? And he said, no. Do you drink beer? and he said yes do you know three chords and he said yes and that was it <laughs> so in the same thing they asked Dwight Dumas they said can you do this drink beer are you marry this and this and he said
0: yes so he passed the test With Sam a long line of drummers over the years and Flash had a run of hit singles Did you me with you? and television appearances and built a recording facility down in Woodland Park outside of Colorado Springs. Did commercial work, series of pop concerts with symphony orchestras across the country. But you and Mick, weren't done contributing mightily <laughs> to our music scene. Yeah, you, I don't know.
1: I know where you're going. I don't know if this is necessarily a
0: contribution, because <laughs>
1: now we're getting back to the tuna and stuff. Yes, <laughs> you
0: remained in pursuit of the ultimate gross out with the legendary four Uh At various points, the ranks included a lot of amazing musicians. The way it started was when we were in LA. We
1: were back in Boulder for a few days, and then we ran into our friends from Zephyr. And I saw Tommy and said, you know, we ought to do something like Friday afternoon. And we said, yeah, let's play at Tulagi's. We'll charge a quarter and play just a bunch of old stuff and have fun. And then with the quarter, we'll buy spaghetti. In those days, you could get a lot of spaghetti and make a spaghetti dinner for everybody at Tulagi. So it was Tommy and Candy and David and I was there. And then it was going to be four of us, and we were going to call it the Legendary Nicators. So then maybe people would figure out, oh, four Nicators. So everybody in town heard about all the musicians. I don't know how many people we had. Up there, somewhere between 8 and 15, but we said, okay, we'll call it the Legendary Nicators because it makes no sense. So that was good, and we played. <laughs> it was great. And we had spaghetti dinner for everyone, and that was it until three years later. I had pissed away all the money from Flash and needed more money for school and saw Candy and David and Tommy and said, you know, we ought to do the Fornicators again, and they were kind of in between everything, and Otis playing with us and John Ferris from Zephyr and Mick, and we played at Arts Barn Grill, which is now the bus stop, every Monday night in this one summer, and same stupidity. Uh, we were making out like bandits because rent was 50 or $75. That's how long ago this was. And so we're making $100 a piece a night. So we not only pay rent in one night, but we have money for stupidity. And one day we're setting up and Tommy comes to us and says, you know, I can't play anymore. This last night. We go, why? Because he was having so much fun. He wear a baseball uniform and just do stupid crap. And he said, well, I'm going to play with the James gang. Joe Walsh was living in Boulder and they recommended Tommy. David said... You don't like that stuff, Funk 40. And I said, well, I'm getting $5,000 now and picking me up in their jet, and I get to write the next album. We said, oh, we're going to have some fun tonight. This will be the last night. (laughs) That was the end of that. He went to the James guy.
0: You had a lot of other players, though, from the local music community. Oh, yeah, yeah. Huh?
1: Anybody was allowed to sit in at any time. Everybody knew that.
0: We didn't care. And you've continued to play for decades, Harold. Yeah, I think so. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> Corporate gigs and private yeah. parties. Flash Cadillac lost some cylinders over the years, yeah. so to speak. Yeah. Lynn Phillips, Spike, suffered a heart attack backstage after a show and right, died. In Oklahoma. Always known for being the craziest of all of you on stage.
1: Well, it was great. He would just sneer at people the whole time.
0: Chris Angelo died after a long struggle with ALS, ALS. L- yeah. Lou Gehrig's disease, that debilitating muscular disease. That was 2005. Warren Butch yeah. Knight continues to lead a rocking version of Flash Stairns. Cadillac.
1: It's Warren and basically the members from Timothy P. and the Rural Route 3, but he's the only original member.
0: I really am honored that you are making a sartorial statement (laughs) that cannot be properly described, at least with my limited vocabulary. The thank you for not projectile vomiting T-shirt is a nice touch. Is there a story behind the (laughs) 1-800-not-guilty baseball cap?
1: Yeah, I go to Mardi Gras every year because that's my entertainment. A couple of years ago I was there, and they were handing this out on Bourbon Street 1-800-NOT-GUILTY, Donald, a Soviet junior criminal defense
0: attorney. (laughs) (laughs) Beats carrying his card in your wallet. Oh, yeah, if I
1: need him, I just take the hat off and look at the thing, and I know who to call.
0: (laughs) Very, very good. All right, Harold, what's your favorite musician's joke?
1: There's two cowboys riding the range, and all of a sudden they hear these Indian war drums. One cowboy turns to the other and goes, oh, I don't like the sound of those drums. And this Indian pops out of the bushes, and he said... He's not our regular drummer <laughs> all right how about another one this guy goes to africa and they hear these war drums he gets in a cab he's going out to the bush and they assist the cab driver what happens when the drums stop bad things happen terrible things happen he figures okay he's not going to press the issue so he's out in the bush and he's with the tribal chief drums keep going drums keep going he says the tribal chief what happens if the drums stop bad things happen bad things happen he goes all right he doesn't want to press the issue he's a guest there in the country He's back in a cab on the way back to the airport. Drums keep going. The drums are going. The drums are going. He says, look, what happens if it stops? He says, oh, bad things, bad things. He goes, no, look, tell me, really, what are the bad things? And the cab driver says, bass solo. <laughs> <laughs> I think musicians are like that, not bass players. <laughs>
0: Always leave them laughing, yeah. Harold. Good job. <laughs> if it's funny. All right. Thank you, my friend.
1: OK, thanks. None of this is useful. <laughs> <laughs>
0: The Colorado Music Experience is a nonprofit educational and cultural organization, relying on financial support from music enthusiasts to fund its initiatives. To learn more, please visit colomusic.org. C-O-L-O music.org.